Welcome to Policy for the People, a show that explores the public policies that can lift up all Oregonians. This show is a collaboration between KMUZ Radio and the Oregon Center for Public Policy. I am your host, Ken Adams. Last month, the Pandora Papers came to light, and a group of journalists published an investigation into millions of leaked documents showing how the rich and powerful around the world hide their assets from tax authorities in so-called tax havens. One of the things that Pandora Papers highlighted is that tax havens don't just exist in places beyond our shores like the Cayman Islands or Switzerland or other exotic places. One of the biggest tax havens in the world, one of the main places where the super rich go to stash their money and avoid taxes, is in the United States. This is largely due to the fact that a number of U.S. states have transformed themselves into tax havens. Today on Policy for the People, we're examining the rise of domestic tax havens and what it means to Oregonians. And I'm here with Juan Carlos Ordonez, Communications Director for the Oregon Center for Public Policy, our partners on this show. Juan Carlos, you have been looking into the problem of domestic tax havens. What have you found out? Well, it's a huge problem and and a problem that has gone largely unnoticed by the public. Uh, I mean, of course, the super rich and their tax advisors know full well about domestic tax havens and how to exploit them. They've been doing it for quite a while, and, and researchers have known about the problem. But the public at large really hadn't heard much about this issue until the Pandora Papers uh, exploded. So to dig into this issue, I spoke with Kalena Tomhave. And she is a researcher with the Program on Inequality and the Common Good at the Institute for Policy Studies. Kalena has studied the rise of domestic tax havens, especially the case of South Dakota. And as our conversation makes clear, one of the biggest threats posed by domestic tax havens is that they're enabling the creation of massive dynastic wealth, vast fortunes that pass from generation to generation untaxed. And this threatens to make the already severe problem of extreme wealth and income inequality even worse. So let's give a listen to your conversation with Kalena Tomhave. Hello, Kalena. Welcome to Policy for the People. Hi, thanks for having me. Let's start by defining terms. What is a tax haven? Sure. So a tax haven levies low or no taxes, where the wealthy, whether it's corporations, investors, and stash their money to avoid taxation at home. They also usually allow for a great deal of secrecy, whether that's shell companies to disguise the real owners of a business or in the form of trusts that are shielded from reporting requirements and, and creditors. People may think of countries like Switzerland as prototypical tax havens, but recently, as the Pandora Papers investigation has revealed, the U.S. is now a tax haven for the wealthy, both in this country and outside of it. And the reason for that has a lot to do with specific state policies, specific states that are welcoming this money. And one of those states is South Dakota, as you recently described in an article in The Nation. You called it the poster child of states racing to become tax havens for the wealthy. How big a tax haven is South Dakota? Can you put it in perspective for us? Sure. So the key to South Dakota's stature as a new onshore tax haven is how it handles trusts, which are vehicles established so that your wealth is handled outside of your taxable estate by a third party, the trustee, so like a trust company or a bank. South Dakota currently has more than $500 billion in trust assets in the state. And those are the trust assets that we know about, that the state has reported. 
South Dakota has a population of under 900,000 people. So it's not South Dakotans that are putting their money and trust in the state. It's wealthy people in the U.S. and around the world, including people who have gained it illicitly. So you already said a little bit about what makes South Dakota a tax haven, but can you elaborate about some of the other policies that has made it so attractive as a place where the rich can go and shield their wealth from taxation? So I think it's important to think important to think about how South Dakota has recognized that the finance industry is a viable industry for South Dakotans. It's create, it creates jobs, even if it's only a few hundred jobs. It does provide jobs as much as it destroys the tax revenue of other states and the U.S. at large. And there are a few major reasons why it's become the premier trust jurisdiction in the country. First is that it has no income tax, no inheritance tax, and no capital gains tax. So already it's an attractive tax jurisdiction, a tax haven. Second is that trusts in South Dakota are secret. We don't know everyone who has trust in South Dakota. And if you have creditors, if you owe child support or alimony, your wealth in trust in South Dakota is protected. And third is that trust in South Dakota can last forever. In the early 1980s, when South Dakota really started to embrace the finance industry and, and bring financial giants to the state, the state abolished something called the rule against perpetuities, which is very wonky, but it determines how long a trust can last. It's been around for centuries and it came about as part of English common law to break up dynastic wealth from when feudal lords, the aristocracy would keep land and trust and out of the popular economy. So the rule was a backlash against aristocracy meant to prevent people from being able to exert control over wealth long after they died. So instead of a trust lasting as long as the life of the youngest beneficiary alive when it was created, plus 21 years, which is the usual rule against perpetuity, so maybe 90 to 100 years, trust in South Dakota can last forever. So by creating a trust in South Dakota, you can shield your wealth from virtually all transfer taxation for generations, and you can keep it a secret. And if your wealth grows untaxed for generations, millions will become billions and even trillions. One of the questions that I had about this was, is this a way to get around the federal estate tax? How does, how, what's the interplay between these dynastic trusts and the federal estate tax? Sure. So if, if you think of, I'll, I'm going to introduce a concept called a dynasty trust. So these are the trusts that can last forever that have come about because of the rule against perpetuities, the, the abolition of the rule against perpetuities. So you can put the exemption amount of the estate tax and another tax that's called the generation skipping tax, which is a tax levied on transfers to your grandkids and other descendants. You can put 23.4 million, that's the exemption, if you're a couple, in assets in a dynasty trust. And that's totally exempt from, from those taxes. And then that wealth grows. And if it's a dynasty trust in South Dakota, it can grow forever, all while avoiding estate taxes, the generation skipping tax, and gift taxes they're not part of your taxable estate anymore. They don't belong to you. They belong to the trust. Going back to something that you said earlier, you said that some of the policies that South Dakota has employed to become a tax haven is the fact that it levies no income tax, has no inheritance tax or estate tax, uh, and no tax on capital gains. And I just wanted to point out for the listeners that Oregon is diametrically opposed to this. Oregon has an income tax has a fairly robust estate tax compared to the rest of the country and levies the same 
tax on capital gains as it does on income, which is one of the best features of a against tax system in that it makes it a progressive uh, income tax structure. It, and it's important to recognize that because it makes Oregon not be a tax haven. But I'm wondering, are there other states that can fairly be called a tax haven? Yeah, absolutely. So I've called South Dakota the poster child, but it's definitely a trendsetter. So about half of the states now have abolished or weakened the rule against perpetuities, allowing trusts to last either hundreds of years or forever. And really, even 100 years is a really long time for your wealth to grow untaxed, so keep that in mind. But some other states that would love to give South Dakota a run for its money are Nevada, Alaska, New Hampshire, Delaware, small population states for the most part. We're taking this short break to invite you to subscribe to our podcast for free. Find Policy for the People on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Now, back to the show. Some of your work, you've talked about the wealth defense industry and how its influence has turned some states into tax havens. What is the wealth defense industry and how does it work in places like South Dakota? So the inequality team at IPS likes to say that the wealth defense industry earns millions to hide trillions. The industry is made up of tax lawyers, estate planners, consultants, accountants, professionals who earn their paychecks, very hefty paychecks, by fully and completely understanding all of the complexities of the tax system and how to undermine it. So their business is complexity. It's an alphabet soup of different complicated trust names and complicated terms. And that's all by design. Complexity helps pro-trust laws get passed. I mentioned earlier that it's small population states that are kind of leading the pack in terms of onshore tax havens. And a lot of it is because the lawmakers who make these decisions, especially in small population states where the state legislature is likely part-time and low-paid, these lawmakers don't have the time or the staff to fully understand what they're voting on. But the wealth defense industry comes in and writes the legislation and says, this is going to be good for business. This will be good for business in your state. And these pro-business lawmakers pass the laws. These legislatures have been captured by the wealth defense industry. In South Dakota, there's actually a task force appointed by the governor. So an officially state-sanctioned task force of trust lawyers that recommends legislation to the state house. South Dakota is the premier trust jurisdiction in the U.S. because the industry has planned it that way. Oregon certainly has its share of lawyers who... uh focus on tax, taxes, tax policy, and accountants who go and lobby the legislature for new tax breaks and, and so on. So I assume that the wealth defense industry is all across the U.S. and Oregon included. I'm wondering if you have a sense of how big that industry is here in Oregon and who the players in that industry are. Yeah, so you definitely alluded to the size of the industry when you mentioned that Oregon has a progressive tax system. So that is some good news that Oregon's not a major destination for illicit wealth like many other states in the U.S. Now, there are probably a lot of trusts and estate lawyers in Oregon who would like to change that. But the state has its rule against perpetuities intact, and it doesn't have fancy trust laws to attract wealth to the state. There aren't explainers on law firm websites appealing readers to establish an Oregon trust no matter where you live. You can set up an estate plan in Oregon, just like you can in any state that will help you avoid some taxes, but it will be nothing, nothing like the states that are courting the ultra wealthy. 
Going back to something you said before of how the abolishment of the rule against perpetuities, it's basically taking on a, a, a law that was developed to stop the creation of dynasties, if you will, uh, sort of like the creation of a new aristocracy, but that's been weakened by a number of states. How do you see that playing out right now that we have just, we're living at a time of record levels of wealth and income inequality? I mean, it's it's only further entrenching that inequality. We, a, a lot of the most powerful and wealthiest people in the country are simply the descendants of powerful and wealthy people from a hundred years ago. And the acceleration of dynasty trusts and estate planning is only going to accelerate that trend more. Right now, we have many people in the Mars family on, on the top billionaires list. Maybe a hundred years from now, there'll be dozens of Bezos. In what ways does the rise of domestic tax tax havens harm our nation? Sure. I think the most obvious answer is that tax avoidance affects government revenue that could be used to pay for programs and services that would help low and middle income people. With the billions, trillions that we lose to tax avoidance schemes, we could fund health care, paid leave, free college, a welfare state that's actually robust. But it's also so much more than that. After all, we could find other ways to offer these services to people if we really wanted to. So it's not just about revenue. The heart of the matter is that tax avoidance and the wealth defense industry widen the already massive gap between rich and poor, as we've, as we've talked about, and it gives terrific power to the people at the top. It's hard to comprehend as non-billionaires the sheer influence that billionaires wield in politics and policy. That's part of the reason why we have such lack federal tax laws in the first place is because super wealthy people like the Koch brothers and the Waltons have ensured it. And we don't just have to worry about them. As I said earlier, dynasty trusts and the like facilitate the creation of family wealth dynasties, allowing their descendants to also have extraordinary wealth and outsized power in politics. So what it is is anti-democratic. We're hurtling towards feudalism if we're not already there. And are there particular harm that individual states suffer besides the nation as a whole? And I'm specifically wondering how the rise of domestic tax havens harms Oregonians who live in a state that is not a tax haven. It's clear that states lose out on tax revenue that they do need to provide services to their residents. And Oregon may not have a particularly powerful wealth industry, but it is affected by it. So there was recently a Bloomberg investigation that you might have seen into the estate planning of Oregonian Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. I know he's he's done a lot of philanthropy in the state, but uh, my colleague at IPS, Bob Lord, actually found the documents that revealed Knight's estate planning strategy and estimates that he's been able to pass on about $10 without owing taxes, federal estate taxes and also Oregon estate taxes. This is due to a very complicated web of trust. So an elite level of planning, if you will, probably hundreds of thousands of dollars spent at an estate planning firm to ensure that that he could do this. And though I don't know for sure, I highly, highly doubt that those trusts were set up in Oregon. And it seems like it's not just Phil Knight, but just sort of, you know, a multimillionaire. You don't have to be a billionaire, but just a multimillionaire to 
gain some benefit from setting up a trust in places in a place like South Dakota? We define like the super ultra net worth as more than 30 million. So I think you'd really be seeing that type of wealth setting up trust in South Dakota. A million dollars is kind of peanuts to these people. So what do you think Congress should do to deal with this issue of domestic tax havens? What can be done in response? There are so many things that I think that Congress should do. On dynastic trusts in particular, uh, the law professor Eric Cades has suggested establishing a federal rule against perpetuities in order to limit the life of trusts across states. We can also end tax breaks for these trusts, ensure that the wealth hidden in them is actually subject to transfer taxation. We could even create a, a wealth tax that would hit wealth in trusts. But Congress also needs to level the playing field around the world. The U.S. expects other countries to share details about what about the wealth and assets of U.S. citizens that are parked in those countries, but we don't do the same. So U.S. law has facilitated what's happening to allow the U.S. to become a tax haven. And if we increased our standards, we could start the process of reversing the trend. And what about a state like Oregon? Is there something that the Oregon legislature could do to push back against states that have chosen to to race to the bottom and become tax havens? Are there some protections that we could enact here? Sort of, but not really. Um, I think the first thing that I would say is that we need to be really intentional about spreading knowledge about what onshore tax haven states are doing because this industry thrives because tax policy is dense and complicated and it makes people's eyes glaze over and because the ultra wealthy will pay whatever it takes if it means they can avoid taxation. So like a seemingly unrelated step would be ensuring that lawmakers are well paid and have research staff that will ensure that they can better understand these complex policies. And so the wealth defense industry can't come in and bamboozle them. An actual policy that could help is that states could show a commitment to transparency, such as requiring that trusts in the state are registered and that we know who owns them. But overall, it's really a federal solution because South Dakota is the poster child, right? But even if South Dakota tomorrow decided to bring back the rule against perpetuities, and make it more difficult to establish trust in the state, Nevada will be there to take its place. Delaware will be there. We need to set a federal standard to avoid a race to the bottom. Is there any point that we haven't covered yet that you would like to bring up regarding this issue of uh, domestic tax havens? I would just reiterate something that we talked about earlier, which is that income inequality in this country is staggering. And that's something that we do know, we already know that. But if we allow domestic tax havens and tax avoidance to continue to proliferate and allow ultra-wealthy people to create dynasties, it's going to get so much worse. Things seem bad now, but it can get so much worse. Well, thank you so much, Kalena. Thank you. Uh, that was fascinating and disturbing. Uh, I want to follow up on an issue touched in your conversation with her. You both mentioned that we're in a time of record levels of wealth inequality. Can you give us a sense of the degree of wealth inequality? Sure. And maybe we should start by giving a definition of what we mean by wealth. And I just want the listeners to know that wealth refers to all the assets that you own minus all of your debts. It's your net worth, if you will. And Recent numbers by the Federal Reserve show that the wealthiest 1% of Americans 
have a combined net worth of about $43 trillion, again, $43 trillion. And by comparison, the bottom half of all Americans together only own about $3 trillion. So that means that basically the wealthiest 1% of Americans have a combined wealth that is 14 times larger than half of all Americans. So, I mean, the level of wealth inequality right now is just mind-boggling. And tax avoidance by the very rich is helping fuel the growth of inequality. And at the same time, domestic tax havens are entrenching this inequality uh, going forward because it's allowing massive fortunes to be passed on to the next generation untaxed. Well, right now, Congress is still considering the legislation known as the Build Back Better Act, uh, which would make huge investments in the American people. The bill has some tax components in it to help this. Uh, Are there provisions in that legislation that address the problem of domestic tax havens? Well, the current version of Build Back Better does, in fact, raise taxes on the very richest Americans, which is a good thing. But it doesn't really address the structural problems giving rise to domestic tax havens. So the legislation would establish a tax surcharge on the super-rich. Uh, they are those who make uh, more than $10 million a year. And this surcharge uh, would also apply to their capital gains income. So capital gains, by the way, is the income from the profitable sale of assets such as stocks, bonds, and real estate. And right now, uh, at the federal level, capital gains income gets taxed taxed at way lower rates than income from wages, so the incomes from paycheck. The current bill also gives the IRS more resources to enforce the tax laws that the wealthy have been avoiding or evading. So that's all very good. But we also have to recognize that an earlier version of Build Back Better, and the bill has gone through a number of versions, um, but an earlier version of it went much farther in terms of getting at the real structural problems. So in addition to raising taxes on the rich, an earlier version also made sure that certain types of trusts would not escape taxation when the grantor dies. It also lowered the estate tax exemption to basically $12 million uh, per couple, so about half of the $23.4 million level that currently exists. But these more ambitious efforts have been removed from the current legislation. So definitely there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But Maybe before we leave the topic of Build Back Better, I just don't want people to get the wrong impression about the legislation, because despite the fact that it is maybe not as robust as it was in an earlier version, it really is still transformational legislation that we can't really afford to miss this opportunity to enact it. I mean, this legislation is going to make huge investments in the American people, invest in child care, affordable housing, uh, addressing climate change, and do a lot more good that we really need to, you know, we can't really afford to wait any longer for these investments. Uh, and by the, and it's going to pay for these investments by raising taxes on the super rich and corp- corporations. So it really is excellent public policy. But even with the Build Back Better Act, we still need Congress to deal with the problem of domestic tax havens, correct? Absolutely. We need Congress to put in place legislation that prevents states from becoming tax havens and prevent the creation of an American aristocracy. Uh, Congress needs to act, uh, you know, for the good of the vast majority of Americans living now and for future generations of Americans. Well, thank you, Juan Carlos. Appreciate the uh, conversation today and the information. Well, thank you, Ken. Thank you for listening to Policy for the People. 
please remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite app.